Hi everyone and a happy 2022 to you and that's a bit of a tongue, tongue twister um, but I hope this finds you well and um, we as a church are really getting excited about gathering together over a week of prayer and fasting and just seeking God's heart for our church um, and for his people and we were going through a series of what really happens when God's people pray. And um, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of of having an intimate conversation with someone, but I was thinking about our kids and in the car, and we have a lot of conversations that I didn't realize were sacred. And then I would retell people the, the conversation and I would see my children getting embarrassed. And so I realized actually when we drive in our car, it's quite a sacred time and we have some very honest conversations, although they're still preschoolers, but in their little way, they really reveal their hearts to me. And it's not for everyone to hear what they say. Sometimes it's processing something that's happened or even something they don't understand that if they had to tell others, they really actually would feel quite embarrassed about it. Um, and it's such a privilege to, to be in on an intimate conversation. For others, it might be a really good friend and just sharing heart to heart with them. And for others, it might be your spouse. Um, but whatever it is, when you have a, an intimate conversation with someone, um, it really has to do with showing our hearts. No matter what we're talking about, it's sharing what is on our heart. And in John chapter 17, we get to see an intimate conversation, a son to his father. But this is Jesus, and he's praying um, for the believers and for the disciples. And we see his heart showing. It's interesting that as Jesus is ending his earthly ministry and is about to go to the cross and, and um, go through the suffering that he is going to go through, he, we actually see a lot more conversations with him to his heavenly father. And we have the privilege of seeing how Jesus himself prays. But I also love that in these times where he so desperately needs God, um, that he leans into him. And although Jesus was perfectly God, he also was man who was going to have to suffer and was familiar with all our sufferings. So he also speaks to God, not only as a child, um, but in his humanity, he also has a conversation with him. Yet he's still God. And so there's almost a, a perfection to this prayer that we read. As Jesus, who had committed no sin, prays to his heavenly father. And it's, it's a bit of a strange dynamic, but for me, the exciting part of the scripture is that we really get to see a perfect prayer being modeled before us. And that's what we're going to look at in John chapter 17. And there's one thing that I noted as I started to read these scriptures that, that I think we can actually just start and learn straight up. And that's that Jesus prays with a confidence and a boldness as he speaks to his heavenly father. We need to come humbly before God, but we can also come as his children. If you read in Romans chapter 8, it says this, chapter 8 verse 14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And that's the name that we pray in, Father God. We come so beautifully knowing that we speak to the most loving Father ever. And so we can come just knowing that this is such a precious relationship and that he wants to hear us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, 
Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So although we, we can pray and we know the privilege of going humbly, we can approach God's throne with confidence. And sometimes the devil really doesn't want us to pray. Well, all times he doesn't. He doesn't want us to speak to our heavenly father. He doesn't want us to read our Bible. He doesn't want us to grow in faith. He doesn't want us to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so often when you speak to believers, prayer is one of those things that, that people can feel guilty about. They don't do it enough. They don't do it, um, you know, as often as they ought to in such an intimate way. And prayer can be a battle for many, yet God, there are these, these models that are before us that people can go with boldness and openly speak to the Father in such an intimate way. So as we look at John chapter 17, we start looking at um, verse 11, and we see how Jesus just goes with this confidence and this boldness. But also note what he starts by asking God first for the disciples. In verse 11, it says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. And so the disciples were in a position where they were going to be losing Jesus. While he was on earth, there was a protection that he provided. And there was this, this teaching, this safeness as he went around with a, a kind of a bunch of people together and they would have formed intimate relationships as they ate and drank. But Jesus really was the, the glue that held them all together. And they were going to be losing him. He was handing them over and for him, their protection was a concern. It would have probably been a spiritual, physical, they would have been under threat from every angle. And he speaks to his heavenly father about it. Isn't it so beautiful to know that this was on Jesus' heart to pray for us and to pray for his disciples? And we forget about that. And, and you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel a little bit guilty going to God when, when I've got a lot of needs, when I'm going through a hard time and I think I'm, I'm giving him a shopping list. And that's not what our relationship should be based on, just telling him what I need and want. But it also is a privilege that we can go to this heavenly father of ours in prayer. And I think about it like 
I was thinking about me with the kids once again. And, and just when they're in threatening situations and something that makes them feel insecure, I love how I can be in the situation. I can just feel this little hand coming to hold mine. And for me, that's time, that's the time when I know that they are feeling a little bit threatened. They're needing to feel a little bit more secure. And usually I just hold their hand even tighter and I bring them in or I pick them up and scoop them up into my arms. And God loves us even more than a parent loves a child. So when we come to him and, and ask him for protection, when we come, when we're feeling threatened, he doesn't say, oh, well, you know, you haven't prayed today, so I'm not going to answer this one. I really believe as a heavenly father, he just loves to take us and, and take us into his arms and give us a spiritual protection. This is a prayer that was on God's heart um, as Jesus prayed. If we read in Psalm 32, verse 7, those beautiful words, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. It's so wonderful that the word protection comes in. I know I'm in a season of just feeling like I need God's protection. I think we all do. And not only the protection, I love that Jesus prays for joy and complete joy, full joy. He has a very good sense and he knows that the disciples' joy is also going to be threatened. They were going from this, this beautiful, intimate, earthly relationship to losing Jesus. They were going to be persecuted. They were going to have to watch their Savior die. Jesus knew that their joy was going to be challenged. And he doesn't just accept it. He prays that they will find a super supernatural joy, a joy that can only come from the Father. Although the disciples are going to lose every earthly thing that is precious to them, yet they're going to find something that is resurrected within them. And the joy of the Lord is going to become their strength. And in John chapter 15, Jesus actually has taught the disciples how they can find that joy. And this is something that we can pray for ourselves as well. He said to them, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So we see there that the joy comes from keeping his commands. And so when Jesus is praying for joy, when God is speaking about it, it has to do with staying close to him. That's where we find true joy. So we can pray for joy in this season. We can pray for protection. But let's accept that it's one that comes from God and not from what the world can provide. And that is a beautiful way to pray. And not only that, isn't it wonderful that we're so reminded that that actually our physical protection matters to God. Our headspace matters to God. Our heart space matters to God. Our soul matters to God. We are not forgotten. As Jesus had his disciples on his heart, he wasn't thinking about himself and what he was going to endure. He took a moment to pray for them and speak to his father about them. We matter to God. And so we can come in to him in prayer because what is on our hearts matters to him. I'm reminded of of that servant Hagar, who was totally mistreated by her her um, owners, the people that she worked for, Abraham and Sarah. They used and abused her. They treated her like an object. 
Um, Abraham impregnated her. She carried the child. She was mistreated um, by Sarah. She flees from this toxic, toxic situation. And God reveals himself to her in a beautiful way, a broken woman who is facing threat, who is facing mistreatment, abuse, um, and probably death. Yet he ministers to her. He cares intimately about her. And this is what she says about him in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You, the, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And I'm not saying this to elevate ourselves. I'm not saying this to make ourselves great in prayer. But I also think we don't do ourselves any favors by coming to God and not thinking that we can pour out our hearts to him and our concerns. When he invites us and he says, cast your anxieties, cast your burdens onto me. Curse, cast them onto him because he cares about you. And I think that when I really believe that God cares about me, it, it's a step of faith that I take that opens up a door to prayer. Ironically, when I try and give a formula to my prayers that doesn't involve talking to God about what's on my heart, if I try and pray in a certain way that, that has a schedule, when I start to add rules and, and times and, and legalities, it almost makes me more um, religious about prayer and I lose faith. But when I start to open up my heart to God, when I start to tell him how I truly feel, how when I come to him as Abba Father, Daddy God, that is when I really open up a door to intimate prayer. And so when we look at how Jesus starts to pray for his disciples, I love the intimacy of it. I love that he shows his heart of care and concern for them. It's a father who's, who's, who's on earth speaking about his children. And so we can just take this as a beautiful model that this is the God who sees. We're speaking to the God who cares. And now we move on to verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified and besides using the word sanctified a lot in sanctity and um, this verse speaks to the importance of it it was on jesus's heart because he knew that in a world full of lies in a world full of corruption in a world where the father of all lies was going to oppose the truth he needed to pray that his disciples stayed rooted in the truth and this truth he speaks about comes through the word the sanctity comes through it. I guess it's like that very oxygen, that mask that we put on, that helps us to grow and live and thrive and survive in God's kingdom. It's not good enough for a believer just to, to, to listen to the word and not be a doer, to not grow in it. But he knew he could see the future and he could see how they would all be tempted to give up this truth. And so his prayer, which God answered, was that they would remain in it. And they did stand fast. If you see how they were persecuted, and if we read how in history they, um, the early church went through terrible persecution, yet people had found this truth and they were sanctified in it. 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 cautions us, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desire. They will gather around them a great number of teachers 
to say what their itching ears want to hear. And I guess that's a great caution for us and and almost fulfilling what Jesus' concern was, that people wouldn't remain in the truth. And so as we come in prayer, we can really pray this for our own congregation and our own body. And we need to also be aware that just because someone calls themselves a pastor, if someone puts a preach on, on YouTube, we still need to weigh up what they're saying. They might have a lot of hits and a lot of likes for different reasons. They might look nice or, or tell people what their itching ears want to hear. It's so easy now just to, to tune into a podcast or a, or watch YouTube or, or listen. And we've been offered so many great preachers, but let's be careful that we don't just tune into what our ears want to hear. We need to be sanctified by truth. And this is what we need to pray into. And then Jesus moves on in his prayer for the believers. And, and he, he says, um, first he starts praying for the disciples, but then he prays for those that will follow. And it's not because he has two categories of Christians here. He was just starting to pray for those that were with him, those that were going to take the gospel into the future, and then those that would follow. And this is what he says in verse 20 when he starts and he moves to the future believers. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. And isn't it interesting, out of everything that Jesus could pray for future believers, he prays about unity. This is something that he wants them to be grounded in. It's something that's a value for him. And why is it so important? And I think the, the reality is if we look at this whole concept of unity, it's actually quite mysterious. And the unity existed before the world was created. There was the Trinity in perfect unity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Unity was something that existed before the world existed. There's actually, we could use the word perfection when it comes to Christian unity. There will also be unity one day in heaven. This is something that we'll all celebrate. We will get to celebrate in this perfect unity that will not have hatred and sorrow. There will be no division. It's something that will make heaven so beautifully heaven. We'll have God's presence. We'll be united as one. We'll be united as a family. We will be rejoicing together. And there'll be nothing that can threaten that. And also that kingdom community here on earth is always marked by unity. When kingdom community is functioning as it should, we move into a united place. And we've been through a place where we've had to fight for unity. We've had to really choose to honor God and sometimes put our own desires aside for the sake of something that God could resurrect that would kind of portray him in the best possible way. We need to constantly see kingdom community. And not just in the church, but in other kingdom relationships with fellow believers, with other churches, with believers at work, with our family who call themselves Christians, This for our kids, for our spouse. If we call ourselves Christian, 
we need to have the same unity in our kingdom community. And that's why Jesus prays for it. It's a unity that marks us as different. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for each other, these are the, the markers that, that people will see there's something different about this community. They're not like us. They don't operate in the same way. Unity also requires a humility. So as we seek to be united in Christ, we become more like Christ. Sometimes that humbling of ourselves, of letting go of our own desires, moves us into a place where we have God's heart and God's desires even more. And then the best relationships in the world are based on unity. When people, if you think about things like marriage, if you think about best friends, um, life groups, so many things that make life sweet um, and, and that we might say are part of our special, your, your close friends, your, your intimate relationships, they're all based on this wonderful concept of unity. So when Jesus is praying for it, he's praying for something that is beautiful, that we'll almost experience a taste of heaven here on earth. And as he prays, it's interesting that he chooses to pray for it because I think he also knows that it takes a miracle for unity. It's something that God needs to put together. If I had to create unity and, and what I think would make life united in my family, in my church, wherever I find myself, in my communities. If I had to put an idea of unity together, of love and what it would look like, I would get it horribly wrong. When we're looking to pray for United Church, we need to look at what God has in mind and what his picture of unity is. But Jesus prays because in this area, he knows that we need God we need the help of the Holy Spirit to live in a united way. And then we move on to verse 24. Father, I want those you gave me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for them, for me, may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus is really praying the heart of the gospel that people will have this love relationship with our heavenly father, that we may actually know him. There's a difference between knowing of and knowing someone. Knowing is an intimate relationship. It's deep. It's personal. Knowing of is that I come to church and hear about God. There's a big difference. Jesus prays that we will know him. There are many kind of concepts and aspects to these, these statements he makes, but it really has to do with knowing his glory, to know him, to be found in him, to remain in him and to walk in his love. It's also not not great. It, it, it doesn't count if we just say, well, you know, Jesus says many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name and not in, that in your name? And he'll say, I didn't know you. Knowing God is the ultimate goal of our lives. That is what builds kingdom community. That is what we should be praying into. And as I started by saying, and I want to end again, is that the devil doesn't want us to pray. He wants to keep us in condemnation, in self-doubt, in to distract us, to make us tired, whatever it is, to stop us from knowing God and knowing God in prayer, from speaking to him. But church, we need to be free of that. 
If you feel like prayer is a challenge to you, pray in the time leading up to our week of prayer and fasting. Pray for your prayerlessness. God hears you. He wants to enter into this beautiful love and prayerful relationship where we can speak to him and share our hearts in prayer where we can model what Jesus did as he prayed for his believer, for the believers. And I love that there are so many dimensions to the way Jesus prayed. And it was also, it was a conversation with him to his heavenly father. He prayed for himself. He prayed for the church present, his disciples, and for the church future. He prayed into the future. He prayed to the Father and he glorified the Father. Do you just see how his prayers went in so many different directions? And so the most important thing to realize is that Jesus prayed. He modeled prayer for us. And so that is what we need to push into is that prayer was on his heart and it should be on ours. So grab your diaries, make prayer priority, make appointments with God, do what you need to, to, to change and open up a door to prayer. Let's make this a priority, not just for the week of prayer and fasting, but for our church, for our souls, for not more than even the rest of the year. Let this be a priority. Jesus prayed for us. Now let's also pray to our heavenly father for each other, for the church, for the world, by this beautiful model. And with that said, let's pray. Lord, you gave us such a beautiful model. You showed us your heart. You opened up a door for prayer that, that was one that has freedom, that has joy, that has depth, that has emotion, it has heart, it has faith, it has belief. But it's prayer, Lord. Forgive us for when we've neglected to pray, Father. Forgive us for the times that we've wandered away from that intimate relationship with you. Lord, make us people who, who trust you, that stand out in faith and step out in faith. And Lord, may we pray according to your will. May we pray according to what is on your heart. May we be united as prayer in prayer, Lord. May we love each other as we gather to pray. Lord, may we be so excited about this week. May it never feel like a burden or a chore, but may it feel like an intimate space where we can enjoy you. Lord, make us strong in this area. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you for the model of prayer. Thank you that when your people pray, there's power in it. Amen.